This is Season 1, Episode 3 of the Punk Theology Podcast. This podcast deals with mature subject matter and is marked explicit. At least it should be. Today's episode is titled, Dealing with One's Shit. I'm your host, Russ Shaw, and on today's episode, doing something a little different. Didn't edit the uh, uhs and ums and stuff out. There's no editing of what you're about to hear. Not even a little. Alright, this is uh, raw conversation right here, much like punk rock, you know? Is that stuff polished? No. You hear feedback, amplifiers being plugged in, scratches on guitars. It's not polished. So why should this be? Here you go. Okay, now we're recording. Are we all sat in our room. We'll see you recording right now? We're recording. I know. <laughs> we're like sheep. This is tragic. <laughs> What's up? Switch off with me. I hate this. We're all sitting in the deck and going through us. We're like sheep. <laughs> I know, right? We're creatures of habit. That's we're why. We're creatures of habit. We, like, we, we all habit came in. Week. Jeez. Arthur is pointing out that this, we all came in and we sat down in the exact same place we sat down last time. This group time. is liturgical. That's all. <laughs> it's liturgical. There you go. That's a good <laughs> It's liturgy. This is his liturgy. Don't you have an assigned seat at church? I d- yeah, people do that too, right? Yeah. I'm not that person. I always sit in a different I've mixed spot. it up. I love yeah. sitting in other people's seats. And <laughs> yeah, they come in and it's they're, they're there, there and it's like, wait a second. <laughs> I know you. You're supposed to be over there. <laughs> I always just thought it was a sign of dominance. <laughs> My church, I can sit wherever I want. Oh, you're uncomfortable? Because you're a pussy. Do something, cheap. <laughs> Turn the other cheek. Uh, so today we're talking about healing. What? What? Derek's got a, a great topic, and you've been throwing this around for a while. We've been talking about this, um, but you shared a, a post on Facebook. Uh, about this, and and I thought it would be a great topic for this podcast, and it's it's one of those kind of subjects that's even better when it's brought out into a group of people like this, because one person could say something, and then you know, like I have questions, <laughs> so it's one of those things. It and uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you wrote it. I'm glad you came up with it because it's I think it's important, and uh, so I'll hand it off to to Derek. Thanks. So this is just a thing that I wrote. It's not... I wouldn't necessarily know it's something I believe strongly. It was just something that... It was literally a shower thought. I was sitting in the shower thinking over things. And then this just kind of hit me. And I finished my shower and jumped out and typed it out really quick. Um, And it's about dealing with your shit. And I think maybe the first thing we need to do is talk a little bit about what is your shit, right? Yeah. It's kind of hard to define. But for me, when I wrote it, I was kind of thinking of all the things that have happened to you in your life that create chaos and turbulence uh, in your present self. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, very commonly, and a lot of my stuff is just childhood stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, shit people told me, stuff that happened to me, traumatic things that happened to me, abuse that happened to me, abuse I did to other people. Um, and then, but it's not necessarily, you know, just terrible things that happened to you. It's, it's you know, uh, addiction could be qualified as shit. Addiction is something that happened that you do to, to deal with your shit and something that causes more shit. Right. So it's kind of this... Mm-hmm shit cycle <laughs> um, and uh, and you know and weird things things that aren't you know necessarily most people wouldn't qualify as as a terrible event in your life or something like that can also just sometimes randomly bring up anxiety or depression or, or that type of thing mental health I think would also mm-hmm. qualify under shit just you know nothing specific happened to you your brain's just kind of funky and how it operates so right. that type of thing is, is kind of what I was thinking of so I'll just read through this one of the things you said that pushed my buttons a little bit was the, uh, what if healing is overrated? Right. Oh, <laughs> and that's kind of something John and I have yeah. talked about before. And that was, you know, that was an idea that I was, that I was looking at it. Like, you know, m- maybe the natural coping mechanism of your mi- in your mind of just kind of throwing it to the back, right? It's worked for how many thousands of years, right? For how many maybe people? it's, right? Like, so is... And, and I don't know that I necessarily fall on that. I think that's an extreme view. Right. But it was something John and I were kind of talking about is, is you know, do you eventually get to the point where you pursued healing so much that, you know, it's you're getting diminishing returns and you just kind of got to rely on your own, you know, internal mechanisms right. and settle for for that type of thing. And, and is that a thing or does that mean anything or... I know. What do you? Well, think? if you engage in any practice or in anything to do with any sort of introspection, you know, if you really think about things, maybe you have a meditation practice. I, I, I don't know. There's any number of ways one could embark on that, but you're probably a, you, you might be pretty rare. Like most people, just don't live life like that. Most people is just one coping mechanism after another, and people can live their whole life like that. You know, I mean, my grandfather just died in his late 80s. And that guy had some shit that he never dealt with. Right. And it was interesting. It wasn't until, like, he got, like, in hospice care when he, you know, kind of started to lose his mind a little bit that he started to kind of break. Right. All that stuff just on a subconscious level was just kind of seeping out of his pores. But uh, b- before that point, you know, most people just... I don't know. Don't deal with things. That's yeah, kind of the yeah. greatest generation, too, isn't right. it? A little bit. Like it's I think kind of that generational thing of this yeah. person in their eighties sitting bitching about how the younger kids are, you know, have all these antidepressants and stuff. Well, you never you did that in my age while they're finishing their fifth glass of wine, <laughs> 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 like, or or a, or a good rye, right. as I'm, I'm drinking now. Well, nowadays it's, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it could be rye. Antidepressants and religion, right, like because there's not a lot of taboos anymore. That's a great. Know? That's a great podcast title right there. <laughs> uh, whiskey, antidepressants, and religion. Yeah. Washington State, they're a little pot in there. I mean, you know, <laughs> nothing's really off the table. Legalized marijuana. Right? That's something I, I wanted to address too for listeners who may be listening. There's like uh, 
there's like three generations, I think. Steve would be our, our boomer. <laughs> and then there's the Xers would be... Uh, I'm an Xer. John and I. Where would you fall? He's an Xer. You're an Xer, okay. I'm and you guys would be millennials. Yeah, no, we're millennials. So Chuck and, and, and Derek are the, the millennials. Yeah, we're the same age, right? Yeah, you know. Are you? Yeah, same age. I'm, I'm like three months older. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Baby boomers, man. They're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. But I find that my yeah. boomer friends seem to have that same thing with their dads. As some of us Xers did, my, with my dad, I, I don't think my dad would be a, a boomer. Um, I'm not sure, but but it seems like my dad's generation just kind of got good at stuff in their shit. Yeah, yeah. They just didn't talk about yeah. anything that was, uh, you know, substantial. Really, it's like any time I get in a deeper, trying to get in a deeper conversation with with my dad or yep. some of those folks in that generation, it seems to just go to. Well, how about them Seahawks, you know? Yeah. What's the weather doing on Thursday? Uh, you know, I'm not saying that things always have to be on a level of a certain depth. I mean, I... Right, but, I, you know, you get with the family. Sometimes it's good to ask Dad about, you know, some deeper shit. And there's there's that yeah. generation of those that just gone. No, you're right. I mean, I, I remember asking my dad, did you ever think about having your testosterone level checked? He goes, well, what is that? And I said, well, it's like you lose your libido, you get exhausted, you get a depression sits in, a, a heaviness. You get old. <laughs> That's what he said. It was his exact response. I just thought I was getting old. And he was, like you said, he had just adjusted to the fact. This way it is. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what everybody did before modern medicine. <laughs> right. Right on. Yeah. True. Right. yeah. Dad never. Well, my foot fell off. You should have checked that green thing that was growing on the side. We, we got pills for everything now. Exactly. We do. There's testosterone therapy. And, the, and to Derek's uh, point, that, that that's, that's part of the problem is there's a pill for everything, right? I don't know. Oh, anyway, go ahead and read what, what you wrote because I, I think that's great. Uh, so it's mostly just a bunch of bullet points. Uh Having shit in your life you haven't dealt with is like having a house with a big pile of unorganized shit right in the middle of it. It gets into everything, affects everything you do, it overwhelms you to the point where it is difficult, if not impossible, to function. And that shit needs to be dealt with. Dealing with your shit usually means a lot of hard personal effort and a willingness to invite your friends, family, and trained professionals to come into your house and help you start to move and organize your shit. The goal is to start to understand what your shit is made of, organizing it into distinct types of shit, and then moving that shit to places in your house that can better handle the shit. Uh, More like, let's try putting that shit in the closet over here and under this cupboard here instead of on top of the oven or in your bed. The initial process of organizing and moving your shit can be extremely liberating and exhilarating. All of a sudden, areas of your house that were really important and had been buried in shit become easier to use and it feels really good. Once the shit has been moved into general piles, it's time to sort through those piles with a finer screen. This process feels good too, but doesn't feel quite as good as the first massive reorganization did. Eventually, all your shit has been sorted as much as possible and tucked into places where it can be better dealt with. It feels so much better than it did, but you can't help but think, yeah, but the shit is still here. Let's just get rid of it. However, in this illustration, you can't get rid of your shit. It has to stay in the house. It doesn't ever actually go away. Additionally, many of your organized piles are still growing, just slower than the original giant pile used to grow. Many people start to obsess over not just organizing their piles and finding good places for them, but actually getting rid of them. 
That obsession makes certain piles grow really fast, and sometimes it makes a pile grow so fast that it destroys the entire house. The truth is that dealing with your shit is important. It makes your house way better than it used to be and allows you to retain long lost or broken portions of your house. However, at the end of the day, no matter how long and hard you learn, organize, and move stuff around, you still have a house full of shit. This isn't the end of the story, though. There's actually hope in your shit. Knowing that your shit isn't going to weigh, go away can be helpful. If you have not yet started to deal with your shit, don't let the fact that your shit will never really go away keep you from trying to deal with it. It's worth it. If you are in the process of dealing your shit, know that at some point there will probably be diminishing returns. That is normal. Don't freak out. It's just the transition towards the next step of dealing with your shit. And if you have made significant progress in dealing with your shit, but are discouraged by the fact that it's still there, you may need to learn to accept the fact that your shit isn't just going to go away. After all, paradoxically, your shit is what makes you an interesting and beautiful person. So, um, I think the big point in there um, that people tend to run into and contend with, pretty much everybody that I've showed this has come back to the same <laughs> point, the idea that you can't get rid of your shit uh, is a point of argument that some people... Right. Um, and I tend to fall closer to the side that it doesn't really go away. And an easy way to prove that would be if I... Let's identify something in your life that you've really struggled with. If I start... You know, if I hook you up to a heartbeat monitor and start to ask you questions about that, your heartbeat's probably going to go up because it's affecting you emotionally. Mm-hmm. And it's still there, right? Like, it's yeah. still... It's... Yeah, unless you, you know, get completely your mind wiped or something like that and can't remember anymore, it's still going to affect you no matter how much work you've done um, to manage it. And managing it is important. Um, but, but yeah, but so that's kind of my point, is that it doesn't, doesn't really go away. Uh, and then and I kind of get frustrated sometimes because I think a lot of self-help people are peddling the idea that you can be totally healed and yeah. that and that and it'll all but just it disappear and yeah. and it won't affect you anymore and then which is you know great for people when they're first getting into it and first starting and it may help people get excited to start but it can really hit people hard when their shit doesn't go away and they start to freak out like why why is it still here I've been working so hard and so long um, shouldn't I be healed by now but I I use the analogy of <coughs> scars and wounds. I think is a good analogy. Because, yeah, you're going to get cut. And as everyone knows, the first cut is the deepest. <laughs> it's, an old, it's an old song. It's not a punk song. <laughs> um, but I did, I did a podcast on the topic of recovery. And it's funny how I went after the thing that I was addicted to. And I got, you know, good victory or sobriety or whatever word you want to use over that but that just revealed that there was just deeper shit so it's kind of like going to your analogy I had moved that shit from the behavioral mod category and I think this happens with a lot of people Mm -hmm. and they don't realize it so I think that's what's important about what you're saying is people can go into therapy or people can go into AA or NA or SA or Gamblers Anonymous or name you know or church or church, <laughs> yeah, and start to deal with some of these things in a in a group setting or a a healing kind of setting, and then find that there's other layers to it. Um, so, talk to that for a, for a, for a minute, Derek. Like, have you had things where you've noticed that maybe it was a 
it was a wound at one point, then and then became a scar. Is that maybe what you're saying? Yeah, I'm. So that <clears throat> analogy might work, um, uh, and that might be, or may, maybe that's just another standpoint on another look at it. Um, uh, and you know, what is scar tissue? Uh, it's it's healed per mm-hmm. se, quote unquote healed, but it also really broken <laughs> right right it just doesn't work it's never going to work the way it was supposed to work those right. cells are permanently damaged and uh and are just beat up in a way that the rest of your cells are not and they're basically just holding it together they're not they're they're but not functioning like they're supposed to function right and the scars are also what makes you interesting like <laughs> it's like how many times a guy sit around like hey, i got a scar check this out man and then and then everybody's talk about I think, scars. The, I think the key, though, is that there's not necessarily pain associated with scars to wounds. Yeah. You, you know, it's, yeah, I got a wound, it's still tender, sore. Yeah. Uh, you know, where scars are, the, it's the, hey, check this out, cut myself really bad. Yeah. You know, so it's. Well, I've got, you still have the, I've got nerve damage due to my scar on my finger, so yeah, that, me that one doesn't apply to me. <laughs> it still hurts. <laughs> so while I think the analogy is, is helpful, I kind of want to explore a little bit before we go too far down the line of of what you do with your shit and whether you can really be healed or not. Is kind of defining what, um, what having a pile of shit does to you. Yeah. And so, you know, I think... Uh, you know, like this analogy with it being in the house. Um, I kind of think of like the stereotypical people not dealing with like the death of a child just like closing the door on this room. Right. Yeah, they just kind of close it off. And I think a lot of people deal with their shit that way. Um, and then they're literally not using part of their house. Mm-hmm. Like part of, so in the analogy, in terms of who you are, you, you're less whole because you're just closing part of you off. Right. Um, in an emotional sense, and then, you know, uh, I think I think the word that gets overused a lot today, but but is really helpful, is also it creates trigger points for you to, to as Derek was referring to, emotionally responding to something. Um, so I think that when you when you carry shit, when you carry trauma, when you carry wounds, you're not functioning as a whole person, and that, and if that doesn't get dealt with in some way. You're gonna keep carrying that. Yeah. Um, I think you know some of the conversation Derek and I have had over this. We talk about whether it can be healed or whether you just whether managing that trauma is the best you can do so that it impacts you the least. Right. So you can be functional, a functional human being, but you also don't want to be a robot either. Like, I don't know. I think I could be a pretty good salesperson. Like right now, like I could probably be making more money right now if I did sales and I stuffed a lot of my shit. But part of the reason I'm not in sales, and I'm not judging anyone who's in sales. If you're in sales, it's a great profession, all right? <laughs> Maybe you're an honest person, and you can get out there, and you can really believe in your product. So, again, I'm not being judgy on salespeople. I'm just saying, for me, in my story, at this point in my life, I don't know if that's a triggery thing. It's just something I've moved on from. Like, um, I, I can't... I can't have relationships that are only based on me selling stuff to someone else. I, I don't. All my professional relationships were like that, and it just felt weird. Not that it's bad or good, but it was just it was just weird. So, and that could be a detriment to my 
<laughs> dealing with my shit or my healing. I don't know. But it could also be, uh, you know, because of the other things I'm pursuing, it could be a, a gain. I think the way I think about it is that the key <clears throat> is acceptance. And usually disappointment comes before acceptance. Mm-hmm. Usually uh-huh. it's just, and that's, I can only speak for myself, I've recognized that pattern in other people. It's like, there's kind of a letdown, there's kind of some disappointment. Like, ah, oh, it's always going to be there, it's never going to go away. Uh, yeah, oh. that's true. So now you make peace with it and accept it yeah. and use it, like, like you were talking about with what you've done with your struggles, and use it as an engine to drive something else, something good, something fruitful. It's still there, but you're using it, but first you need to accept it. Yeah. And acceptance is hard because we're honest. I think sometimes we just want it to go away, but yeah. disappointment usually precedes acceptance. And then what happens friends. when you don't accept it? That's bad. <laughs> I, I hate it when good musicians finally get there and then their music sucks after. Nah, that's a great example. Yeah, that is a great example. Alanis Morissette was, was, was an awesome example of that. I don't she know. Made a, that's her a, first that, that album. The, <laughs> the one I've heard is in comedy. Pain. Eddie Murphy was, okay. was the funniest man he on was the planet for yeah. about 10 years. And then he got rich, and then he completely lost his yeah. Not He funny. got off Not a funny person. And he went through recovery, a lot of recovery, too. That uh, could be part of it, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Collateral Beauty. That was the movie that I was thinking of when you were, when you were saying what you were saying. Collateral Arthur, Beauty. Have you guys seen that? Uh, Collateral mm-hmm. Beauty, Will Smith. Uh, it's about a guy uh, uh, who loses a child. Oh, jeez. No wonder I had not watch it. <laughs> but it's, it's a great film, though. He loses a child, yeah, he and, and, and he's just... He's a he's owns this company and he's do, done really well in his life, and he's a guy who I think that a lot of people could identify with is is, is a male a man who is good at stuffing his shit and not dealing with it until it started to come apart on him, and that's what the that's what kind of what the movie's about. But it, but yeah, that's it's a that's a great example of how rot is like rot can get into a house or dry rot or something, right? For me, I when I become more and more aware, well, I always knew that the shit was there, but I just assumed I was defective. Mm. You know, I just assumed I there was something in me that was wrong. Mm. Everyone else is healed, but not yes. you. Yes. Wait, you really saw that though. You think everyone else was? I don't know. Yeah. I just know for me, I just <clears throat> viewed myself as defective. That there was some something wrong in me. Because of the of the battles I had, and I was a I was an angry angry man, hiding a lot of my shit, a lot of my insecurities, a lot of the words that were said to me, a lot of judgments that were placed on me, um, both within the church and and without the church, within the family and without the family, uh, and that's the part for me is that I realized is to do discussions like this, that I realized I'm not alone, I am not defective, you know it's it's a <coughs> Or it's a wound. We're all defective. We're all defective <laughs> together. Exactly. The whole world is. I like Steve's words was defective. <laughs> I like that. That's funny. I thought you had an accent or something. <laughs> defective. That's funny. The church has made a living off that idea. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I think that it's the branding that you and you, we, us three got together and did a, a talk about that. How there's a brand, like almost the church, different denominations will have. A brand, and they're selling that. Like you're broken in this way, 
we've got this. Well, right? church is really good at selling you both the disease and the cure. You know, <laughs> you're broken. You need this. And Richard Rohr talks about that eloquently. Yes. He's amazing. Well, you but, go to church in our previous congregation, the rock star domestic wife, who she would, who he held up as this superhero, who fixed him breakfast every morning and prayed for him as he went out the door to do his ministry. And and don't forget like, sex. And yes, and as often as he wanted it. Well, <laughs> however he wanted it. I was, yeah, I'm still working through Matt Johnson's book, The Wrong Jesus, and he's talking. He was talking with this gal who was in tears because she was a new mom, and she could not compete with the image of the rock star domestic wife, <clears throat> the superstar. And and I asked my wife about that because she was there a lot of the times in, in Ballard when that was brought up, and she says, "Oh, I did. I felt that that pressure." Oh, God. No, yes, exactly. Damn. And then you realize, <clears throat> no, we don't. No, you don't have it together. Yeah. And some of the talks around sexuality, some of those that you know I read online afterwards were, were heartbreaking. How some women who, and some of them had been dealing with you know issues of sexual abuse in the past or something, yeah. and then there's this acceptance or expectance to uh, perform. I think uh, Jeff Becker, when, when I talked with him, he used the analogy of a, a Christian rape culture. Yeah, I like that interview you did with him. That was a good one. Yeah. Well, because I think, <laughs> God, man, that's his tune. You're by the triggering way. me, Steve. Sorry. <laughs> like, like, well, because I think so much of, oh, oftentimes, what I heard there was, uh, oh, you struggle with porn. Well, stop looking at it yeah. and just project that onto your wife. You know, what? Yeah. That's what you have these natural urges, and you're a man, and well, that's what she's there for. And so you've got shit, and your managing solution is to dump it on your wife's back. <laughs> oh God! It's hey, I'm carrying my shit. No, it's to stop jerking off and and project it onto your wife. Yeah. Is, is your and how that works itself out can be toxic and that's damaging. So bad. You need to look like them. You know. Yep. Oh. Yep. Dear God. So going back to to Richard Rohr, so I think a lot of a lot of your shit has to do with pain mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. whether you're conscious of it or not yep. exactly. and Richard Rohr has a great quote about pain that I mm. believe is pretty true which is if you don't transform your pain you will certainly transfer it mm. Ooh, that's yeah cool. that's beautiful yeah no, hurt it's people. It is. It is. It's well put, though. Hurt people. Hurt, hurt people. people. Yep. That's yeah. another one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that was just less eloquent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You have to enunciate correctly with that. But that's bullshit, though, too, because unhurt people hurt people. Yeah. You know, I'm always mm-hmm. start saying because it's. <clears throat> ever met an unhurt person? Unconscious, well, maybe. Okay. Maybe so unconscious. We're all, we're all screwed up, though. Yes, right? we are. So all the fuck is. And that's you know we bash the church about you know they're selling this this healing drug but how, how much of this stuff did we learn from our parents and did they learn yeah. from their parents and then, oh, we're sure. teaching, then we're teaching our kids the same thing too you know it's you have to act this way you have to do it this way yeah yeah and, and that's a that's another great one is uh, what needs we had met through our parents and how needs work themselves out because then we go to subconscious because I think there's a lot of people doing a lot of damage even so called good people yeah because they need something, they need to feel significant. They need to feel growth is another one that brings it to this conversation that Derek raises. I believe that there's a fundamental human need for maturity, and if we feel like we're not moving forward in some way, 
you know, that leads to all sorts of depression, anxiety. Well, and something I see in a lot of people is they are moving forward, but they're not moving forward at a rate that they had set for themselves. Yeah. So then they actually kind of start to move backwards yeah. because they're scrambling the, you know, it's like, there's a weird analogy, but you're, you're watch Tiger Woods redesign his swing. And that was his thing is he would, he would go and he'd be at the very, very peak and he'd accomplish something on the, on the golf course that nobody else had done. But there'd be a little tweak in his swing that he wouldn't like, so he'd spend the next 18 months completely tearing it down and, and changing it from the ground up. And eventually he got to the point where that just didn't work anymore. And I think that was a big part of his crash. Right. Was And he, and he's, I think he's still in this place where he thinks if he just redesigns his swing again, he'll see the progress. I don't know where I'm going with that, but... I heard I heard the same story about Axl Rose with Guns N' Roses when Guns N' Roses split up. Was that the song November Rain took him like you know a year or something like that to record just because he's like, oh, it's not right. Like I got to fix it. Let me fix it. This is OCD. It's an OCD thing that kicks in, and yeah, it's like constantly working to fix it that's in ourselves. And I think that a lot of times that takes other people. It takes doing something like this. So you get your shit out in the light, you know, and and then other people can go, yeah, you know, you you have that about yourself, or or why do you feel that way about yourself, or you know. There's also a, I mean, a huge rush in dealing with your shit, especially when you first start. Yeah, and Confession I think is yeah, a big one. and I think that can get addicting. Uh, but but when that rush up comes, is it with the hope that you'll be healed, or is it with the acceptance that the best you can do is sort of. I think it's just in a, I accomplished something, mm. sort of. You just get, you know, when you accomplish something, your brain rewards you. Dopamine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a huge rush when you, you know, especially if you've been slogging for a long time, and then all of a sudden, Some momentum. six months, things are just really turning around. But then when that peters off again, mm-hmm. you know, I think sometimes people strip strip the whole thing down just to try to get back to that feeling of... Yeah. On the flip so, side... <clears throat> There's a big motivation for a lot of people to not deal with their shit. Right. And that's because, not not just because it hurts, right. but because it becomes part of their identity. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's part of a victim story, and, and they dwell on that story. Especially, I think, I, I've witnessed this uh, in close relationships of mine, where um, there's this whole period of time where your entire being is defined by what happened to you. Yeah. And, and and you have anxiety that replays these tapes, these history of what occurred to you, and you have no control over your over your brain bringing it up all the time. And you just live it, you tell it. And, and I don't know that it's healing, it's, it's just... It's almost like you've got this cut, and you're cutting it back open. Yeah. On purpose, because that's now who you are. Yeah, yeah. There's also a my shit justifies my behavior. Yep. And I like my behavior, so I'm just gonna keep keep, keep bringing my up shit. my shit. Yeah. And the victim role can it's work like. its way into that too. And then if you get under that and you ask enough questions, you can find and here's something that uh here's something that a friend pointed out that, that I found really true about a lot of evangelical Christians. A lot of a lot of evangelical Christians, maybe the majority, have a. If you scratch just under the surface and you start asking these questions about needs, you know, fundamental human needs, 
a lot of them have just shit that they've never dealt with. And I think it's because they have the, oh, Jesus died for my sins kind of thing that's kind of thrown on top like a blanket. Or that's part of the, the victim thing or, or, or whatever. Right? Well, I, and I, it's a shallow... In a similar vein, I don't, you know, I don't want to poke anybody, but I remember experiencing this in more Reformed churches because it was always that line, well, God's good all the time and God's sovereign. Yeah, but tell me how you're really in pain and how you really don't believe that today. Mm-hmm. Well, God's good. God's sovereign. Yeah, but you're hurting. Yeah. Well, I know, but God's, God's glorified. God's holy. God's sovereign. It's God's will. Yeah, but you're in pain. That's just... It, you're just saying that. Oh, sorry. My phone. <laughs> you interrupt the stairs now. Wow. That's right. Final countdown. That's, That's right. my <laughs> You're. Who's calling me? Yeah. Okay, anyway. Uh... Late hour. Now you have to say something. Who's calling me at this hour? Now you have to say something really inspiring. I, I, I already did, Russ. No, no, I don't know. No, no, Yeah, edit, edit that out. No, um, but yeah, it's just—it's not just. I'm, no, not just to poke at reform guys, but I think there is that thing of like. Remember Mars Hill imploded, and people were, "Oh, but God's good. God's got this. God's in control." Yeah, but it doesn't feel like that. And what if he doesn't? And tell me what you really think. Because that's just yeah. medicine. That's just anesthesia mm-hmm. to cover mm-hmm. up what you're really feeling. And yeah. feeling I remember with. Mark talking about how it was almost like he would he would shit on the labyrinth, right? Have you ever heard him talking about the shit labyrinth? Shit on the labyrinth? Yeah, so there's a labyrinth. Labyrinth is, a, you know, <laughs> churches do this movie? as a way to pray. <laughs> no, no as a way that you, you started right. a puzzle. And you oh, the prayer in. labyrinth. Yeah. Yeah, he and this what is he's a, talking about. This, I know, but this is an analogy of going into oneself and dealing with what is on the inside. Oh, he always dog prayer labyrinths like they were New Age or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and that's what I'm saying. But that's that's a big elemental or fundamental part of healing is is going into your your own feelings, your own heart, your own story, your own little kid self, and going, what does he or she need? But, you know, that was always discouraged. That's discouraged by a lot of churches because they see that as new agey or pagan or something well, to, I, I was to telling, travel into yourself. I think I was telling Derek this, like, you know, my wife had was doing some home improvements and had moved some of my books. And I found all these old kind of Christian counseling books, you know, or, or whatever, and just thumbing through some of that stuff. And... Everything's so cognitive. Everything so remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel. But there's not a lot in there about just sitting, breathing, feeling, yeah. contemplating. It's just all head. Read this scripture. Memorize scripture. Meditate. Well, meditate on scripture, which is basically just reciting it in your head. I suppose that could help, but that's not really what contemplation is no. all the time. It's no. something quite different. It kind of touches on, you know, as long as we're talking about things Christians like. <laughs> uh, platitude sure are just so big like there's people I'm friends with on Facebook that's all they post is platitudes mm-hmm. one after another and it's just yeah it's it's just you know there's there's pain and there's shit and there's problems there and they're just continuously bouncing off of it by throwing one platitude after another at, at it and it you know it gives them permission to to not have to engage, right? Because um, they can just throw a platitude at it, and and they're preconditioned to not have to. Well, and the prescribed 
I need to bail from this conversation because I'm uncomfortable with your yes. shit. Is I'll pray for you. Yes. Oh yeah. That means oh, I will you. Oh, clear or dark? Nothing. Nothing shuts the down dark. a conversation you don't the want to dark. be a part of. Then, well, I'll pray for you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. And maybe, a, maybe a. <clears throat> yeah. Oh. Or a. Jeez. I put my, I put my hand. Yeah, to give to to audio. This is not video. So I put my hand on Steve's shoulder and I went. You know, one of those. Steve Cranch. It's like I did. There's a <laughs> flashback. There's, 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 <laughs> there's something about just sitting in it. Yeah. Just sitting in it. And it's good that you yeah. have people that would do that, I guess, in your life. But oh, yeah. that's where the, the shallowness can be detrimental. <laughs> because it's shallow. It's not there's no depth to it. And if people again, if most if eighty percent of Christians aren't dealing with what's on the inside, then a guy a person people praying over you is just you know what? What is that? Does it have power if it doesn't come from some spirit-centered uh, part that's empathetic? Mm. Well, that's a whole other conversation. Is is there any power in it if you don't mean it? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like there's some, you know, like is there something outside you? Like mm. like prayer doesn't have power unless you believe it does. That's might be another topic. Well, I remember <laughs> being a part of the Vineyard Movement that you would always fear the prayer because what if nothing happens? Then I'm more defective mm. than I was going in. And so I'm, and I don't want to judge those that would experience some sort of manifestation, but it was almost as if the more you manifested, quote, the Holy Spirit's presence on you, then you got the pipeline. And for those of us that would be prayed for and nothing would happen. Uh oh. Yeah. Must be you. It must be me. Mm-hmm. That was the undercurrent. Yeah. And you look at these people that, that so seem to have everything together and you go, Well, I don't, so fuck it, I'm out of here. Why? Why waste a hour and a half on a Sunday morning? On you- this side of it, do you think they had it together or do you think they were pretending? Probably 50 50 would be my guess. They might have even believe that they had it. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, we talked about that a little bit last week. If that's if they believed they had it and it was changing things, you know. Uh, if you close that door and seal it off, you might not know you don't have it together for a long time. Right. Yeah. You know, those, that skeleton in the closet. Yeah. Still, they start knocking. <laughs> well, for me and my that, anger, what's that I smell? Started oh, to it's shit. Go down that trail to figure out. Okay, what is that? I mean, the anger is not anger is a symptom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was always told growing up, you shouldn't be angry. But I am. Damn it! <laughs> right. And it was until I became aware. Okay, I am angry. Now what? Well, why? Mm-hmm. And for me, a lot of my anger was feelings of insecurity, mm-hmm. and I was trying to mask those feelings. If I'd feel less of a person, uh, I would lash out keep people at a distance. And my kids, unfortunately, and my wife were recipients of that for years. I'm still trying to... It's really interesting because I had a discussion with my oldest daughter about this. And she's a teacher, first grade teacher. And she goes, Dad, it's so incredible when you start talking with people and listen. You know, it might not believe what they're saying, but you're listening. And there's no problem in listening. I said, honey, you're light years ahead of me. Because I haven't listened. If I didn't agree with you, I'm not listening. Uh, Forget it. Yeah. And that's why I love this. 
this is I've been looking forward to this since we walked out of here last Thursday night. <laughs> could, you, could you be so any more baby boomer as an example for us I know <laughs> it's coming through it's good so it's beautiful as a Gen Xer I'm like yeah that's my parents <laughs> <laughs> so with that portion being your shit are you still dealing with it today oh I'm still dealing with it is it any easier yeah because that's I'm beginning good. to realize what it is. Yeah, it's good. I mean, we just, we, I, uh, it's interesting you talk about that sales analogy because I have, I have a, a job offer of moving into sales. And I'm torn between that and another job of, of customer service, phone, scheduling of an auto repair shop. <clears throat> well, the auto repair shop, it's more money than I'm currently making and it's safe. But the flip side, the sales is upside. Salary, I would start right at what I, more than what I'm making currently, plus the bonus of the sales. But, however, if I don't continue the sales, then the salary is going to dry up. Well, that's facing my insecurities. Sure. Yeah. Is now I'm at the point of I'm tired of resting in the comfortable. Move out of that because there's no growth in the comfortable. Mm-hmm. None. <clears throat> I wish there was. I do too. Oh, so do I. And I think that's you the truth. That's about it. That's about it. Fat and happy. That's growth growth by osmosis. Yeah, but you're not happy. Good right? excuse. Right. Happy for a little while until you run out of uh, ding dongs. I was like the analogy that like a you know happy like pig in mud or whatever. Um, pigs don't like to be in mud. They actually like to be clean. Mm. They use the mud to keep cool and to help keep bugs off of them. But they're they're actually clean animals, and and that's I did not know that. I did not. That's perfect because it's like you know it's oh I can be fat and happy, but you're not. You're wallowing around and shit. You're not happy. Yeah. I mean, I I know I wasn't whenever I was just wallowing around, buried down. So I I I have I had this thing. Uh, Russ and Derek probably heard me say it, but I remember like uh, years ago. This is just a thought, kind of riffing on what Steve said. Like when my wife was pregnant. I don't remember which kid it was. <laughs> but, but, How many kids do you have? Four. I have four. four. Okay. It, it was either two or three. Oh. And, <laughs> and and she was having some cravings for some like, you know, crappy food or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we went to like a Kentucky Fried Chicken and, you know, we're, we're in there. And I don't go to KFC that much. But anyway, there's this obese guy in there with sweats just eating his fried chicken. And I just was looking at this guy, and I just had this, like, kind of envy come over me. Because here I am, like, I worry about what I eat. I worry about my money, my portfolio. I worry about all these things, all these circumstantial, uh, at the time in my 30s, just keeping stuff together, making ends meet, you know, having more, increase the nest egg, uh, you know, being healthy, being trim. Uh, But this guy... He's just sitting there eating chicken in his sweats. He's probably going to go home to his trailer just fine, not a care in the world. There's something kind of <laughs> yes. like romantic about letting go, you know, like, like giving up. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> so, uh, I always kind of. Space. Big Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, but I see that. I also see that somewhat as different <laughs> levels awesome. of consciousness. Like, can you let yourself go so you can let yourself go? You know, there's something to that, too. Like that guy is, is at a level of consciousness where he just doesn't give a fuck, and there's something That's attractive about that. There is <laughs> happy you see it in culture, right? <laughs> Don't give two fucks. Hashtag. Like there's something there's something to that that's really attractive. 
But I think, but I think it is calling us to a, a different level of, of of a consciousness about ourselves, where we're okay with ourselves and okay, as Derek would say in, in what you wrote about your shit, just where you're at. Is there alternatively the guy has so much pain and shit that he's just an addicted glutton? Yeah. True, and, and I don't. That. And I don't. We don't know. know that. I don't know. Yeah, that's where you're vibrating. Right. You read brain that. You're, yeah. yeah. That, that tells He's, us more about you than him. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like you know. I, I just perceive you as not caring. <laughs> that looks hideously wonderful. <laughs> but I, I don't know if you guys ever had thoughts like that. But but it's, it's kind of always that. But but I always um, you know in in my shit my story is more dealing with anxiety and acute anxiety mm-hmm. and how that really came home to roost in my early 30s in a very acute, painful, and debilitating way. And dealing with that has been interesting. And I, you know, it's still there. Mm-hmm. But there's been headway. There's been progress in accepting it. And, and, and as I accept it, it doesn't torment me. Where, where the problem usually happens is when I, I don't accept and I want to go away and I'm uncomfortable and this is bad, that's where the pain happens and it usually compounds upon itself. You start having anxiety about your anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the vicious cycle. And, and so in, in those times of, of, you know, again, probably going back to, to my early to mid-30s where that was more present and, and acute, although it does resurface from time to time. And I have tools now to, to, to manage it or, or put it in the other room where it still smells, but it's not permeating everything, to use Derek's analogy of the house or whatever. But, but in those times, yeah, I could romanticize about a, you know, some fat fuck in his sweats eating fried chicken, going, man, that looks good. You don't care. <laughs> so if you don't ask, don't mind me asking, what yeah. are the tools that you use in that anxiety? Because that's something that's just recently started to creep up on me. It's like the anger is still there, but it's in a back room. It's, now the anxiety has started to creep it, in. It's stuff that we're we're talking about. It's sitting with it. For, for me, I have a, a regular practice of, of meditation mm-hmm. that's just been the greatest thing I've ever embarked on. And that's really recent. Like, yeah, uh, probably I spent a lot of even last year trying to cultivate it, and it's only been this year that I've sort of turned a corner with it where. I guess I'm seeing the benefits of it. It takes a while. Because yes. it's not a magic cure. It's, no. it, it's not no. a cure at all. And then what Roar says, too? Oh, that yeah. it's a process? It's a process. That as you begin, if you see these thoughts going by, look at them as cars passing on the road. What, oh, yeah. No, that, that's absolutely one of the... Yeah. One of meditation techniques mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. you know, there's different ones, but cars on the road. That's a good one for me with street. ADHD. It's like, because I, I, I always was frustrated I couldn't meditate. You but, always have thoughts creep in. But that's the idea. But if you, you back up enough, yeah, you can. The idea is not the, to stop thinking. It's yeah. just to realize when you're thinking and to come back to your breath or whatever you're trying to focus on. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think the other thing, too, is, is well, I'm, I'm, I want to feel better, so I'm going to do this. That's not the idea. Like One of my favorite meditations puts it like this. Like, like the goal isn't to feel better. It's to get better at feeling. Mm-hmm. Those are two totally different things. Yeah, so essentially, it's just making space for it. There's this. Uh, I was reading this book where there's this. Um, there's this story of a, of like a, like a Buddhist sage and, and his student, and and the sage says, uh, "Bring me a cup of salt water." And you know, the kid brings him a cup of salt water. Now drink it. And he drinks it, and it's salty. Like he can't even. Oh, this is horrible. Okay, now put it in the stream. 
and now take a cup and drink it again. And the salt, the, the same amount of salt is still there, but it's diluted by the stream. But it's the same amount of salt, sure. but now you drink it as it's diluted by the stream. It's not as salty. It's mm-hmm. that's I think what a good metaphor for yeah. what meditation yeah. can do if you are consistent with it. Well, and that's an struggle too. That crazy. I have that thought creep in. Well, everything breaks down at some point. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I won't pick too much. My, my right away. Is, it's a Buddhist sage. <laughs> he was, you know, probably a thousand years ago. <laughs> but the thing with meditation, and, and I, it, it's benefited me too. I, I was first introduced to it by a therapist um, and dealing with my oh. shit. Dealing with all of this shit that I've had for... I mean, I've gone through addictions and sex and porn and buying stuff and just about anything I could be addicted to is... Podcasting. Podcasting, <laughs> yes. Exactly. There's another one. And uh, I, I would follow it. So the meditation for me has been been helpful and just being able to just be and be happier and be content i think contemplation is a big one yeah definitely uh having being mindful of counting your blessings as as cheesy and stupid as cliche as that may sound there's something to that Mm -hmm. well it's like you said last week enjoy the moment live in the moment yeah also don't underestimate the power of modern therapy and Drugs, if you need them, yeah, yeah, like yeah. There's, there, I mean, there, that can be a, a bit of a dangerous, scary road too. Yeah. Uh, so don't put all your hope on that, but definitely is worth exploring. And there's, and it's done some great stuff for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been within the last year diagnosed as bipolar, and started taking some medication for that, and that's really changed things significantly, especially the last three or four months, which really started to kick in and I figured out my dosages really well um, really I mean it's honestly it's just changed my lifestyle that's so great that type of stuff can be helpful yeah. too so Derek since we started talking about this since you kind of made that post um, and like you said you don't necessarily believe it but you've been kind of arguing the side uh, as you're prone to do of, of, <laughs> the, of the idea that you can't really heal right. and, and maybe that's okay and maybe maybe the idea of managing um, or dealing with or addressing or accepting your shit, but that it doesn't go away. Um, so I guess I, I, I've been kind of arguing the side of healing, and I kind of I believe that people can actually heal, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I believe I've seen it. Okay, I don't think it happens very often, and I think it's hard. Um, it's the exception, maybe, maybe. Uh, and so I just kind of want to talk about what what my model for that looks like. And, and maybe part of that has to do with defining what healing is. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of uh, run through that metaphor and kind of run with, with the Richard Rohr quote about, about transforming your pain, um, you can't undo history. Like, there's no healing. Like, some trauma happens to you. And, and, and it's, let's say it's something really, really awful. Like, whatever it is you fear, like, the thing you don't want to have happen to you, that's the thing that happens to you. Whether you're like some guy who is really, really successful and he takes a lot of pride in providing us for his family and he loses his job or his ability to even work and provide anymore. Those kind of levels of trauma, you know, you can't fix that. You can't heal that. You know, if, if you suddenly become a 
paraplegic and you were an NFL star, you know, you're you're not going to catch any more passes. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. Um, so, so what does healing look like? And even on, even to a lesser degree, you know, the smaller wounds that you incur. I think of, uh, for an analogy purpose, I think of like one of the things that my wife does that she's very good at. My wife is a, is a crafter. And one of the things that she does that she's really into is repurposing old broken crap. <laughs> and she takes something that somebody literally throws out in the alleys of our city and she'll walk or drive through them and pick up junk and then turn it into something new. So that pile of shit you had in your house that was in your way in the analogy we were using earlier, mm-hmm. suddenly becomes a focal point of art or a functional piece of furniture. Yeah. That's my wife does the same thing, too. And my, my father-in-law is really good at this, too. Like, go to the thrift store and just buy crap. I'm like, what do you, what's that? And then they'll make something beautiful out of it. And yeah, so something to that, repurposing. I, I think that idea of, of when you have trauma and, and it's that weight, it's that burden, it's part of your identity, it's, it's giving you anxiety and you're carrying it, um, it... What transformation, what healing looks like is not like erasing your memory of its existence ever happening. Yeah. It, it's not um, having surgery to remove the scar tissue. It's, it's taking that and running with it in a way where you accept it, you transform it into something positive, it becomes a positive motivation for you, it becomes a way that you have empathy towards other people that are struggling with it. it yeah. You turn it into something that no longer is a negative in your life and instead is a positive. And in the midst of that trauma, where you're like, how could this, how could this ever happening to me be positive? Yeah. It's, it can be hard to see where that goes. Yeah. But as someone who's seen people take that and, and then become something beautiful and then also help other people who struggle with some of the same things become something beautiful... To me, that's what healing is. Yeah, when, yeah, that, yes. when that trauma has yes. no more power over you, yes. it's healed. Yeah. Yes. Well, your story encourages me. I, mean, yeah. I walked out of here last week encouraged. I mean, I feel like I'm dropping a $50 bill on the table for therapy. <laughs> because you, all of your all story encourages me. <clears throat> because I realize I'm not alone in this. Yeah. And that's the thing that, for me, like you said, that... that I have an incredible empathy towards towards dudes that are struggling, but don't know that they're struggling. I mean, I look at around in church on Sunday, and I'm like, and how many of these people are struggling, but are are afraid to admit it? All yeah. of them. All of them. Mm. Exactly. That's why I'm almost. And this this may sound sick and twisted in a weird way, but when someone comes to me with with some really deep tragic shit in their life, I'm a little happy. Like doing the podcast on on addiction, for example, um, sexual addiction is what I, I did for for many years, eleven years now, and it still goes on. Um, but doing that podcast out of struggling with you know sex addiction and then realizing where that stuff stemmed from, and that took another five years before I got there and started unpacking that, um, which was a whole nother level of shit to to use to use Derek's analogy. But once I started sharing that stuff and other people started going, yeah, I've got this problem too. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad you're here. Because then you can start to find out what's underneath it. It's like, it's like finding a, a, you know, 
the guy there was a guy a foot, there was a football game where a dude was holding a camera. I think it was one of the Seahawks games. Guy's holding a camera and and he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Gets nailed by a three hundred pound linebacker who's just coming off the field, you know, after the ball or something, and nails his cameraman, knocks him on his ass. Horrible thing, right? He goes to the hospital. He was okay, he's roughed up, but they found out he had a tumor. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And it saved his life. <laughs> This getting getting hit by this thing, so so there's that too. Like underneath our addictions and our issues is 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 something else that can be healed and, like you said, can can transform. I wanted to to ask you, Arthur, because you shared some stuff last time uh, in the last two podcasts. The the last talk I, I cut in half there. Uh, you shared some stuff about your story, and I was wondering, uh, and I'm asking this publicly, and maybe I could cut this out later. But would you, do you think you could share that publicly, what happened with you? Not here, not now, but, but one day, sure. Because what happened with your story is, is horrible, and I've seen it happen before, and I've seen it swept under the rug, and, and, and I, I don't know, part of me is like, institutions and organizations shouldn't get away with shit like that. So, not that I'm trying to be the cop or anything, but it's just just your stories encouraging just through what you've been through with that situation. I I'd have to think about that okay. and think about how to share it because there's certainly some details that maybe shouldn't be public. But yeah, well, maybe that we, we a, can probably talk about that offline. And yes, talk about what that might yeah, like. I would love yeah, to hear yeah. that. Um, but uh, in, in talking about kind of what you were just saying though about cheering on people going through shit. And I, and I think that where my wife and I realized when we went through a lot of our stuff was we realized how much it changed us. And we look back at other things we've been through and realized how much it changed us for the good. Mm -hmm. um, my wife is a pro-transformer of shit. Mm -hmm. and, and when I left the faith and I started talking to her, just kind of deconstructing some of the stuff I once believed, and we were kind of on the other side of some of that stuff, and, and she was going through the healing process. I'm like, so if, if trauma is this impetus for huge growth for you and, and, and maturity and, and even your faith, how do you feel about that constant evangelical like prayer request, help me fix all the things that are going on, everything from... I think I'm getting a cold to, you know, my grandfather's dying and he doesn't believe in Jesus and everything in between. My cat's sick. <clears throat> sometimes it's really dry and sometimes it's really serious. Like, you know, people are battling cancer or whatnot. And I'm like, so if your trauma is what made you a better person, how do you, how do you view that kind of prayer now? Like, do you reverse it the other way? Are you like, God, this person needs to go through some shit so they can get out of this rut they're in. Right. When I, so I, I pray on, for them to have more shit. I post <laughs> on Facebook. <clears throat> this was, well, two years ago now. And I, I don't think that, it, I still don't really understand this particular scripture. Um, but I posted two years ago today, actually. So it's this. No one of those Facebook memory things. Yeah. Three yeah. or two years ago. Yeah, so it's... Uh, in Romans 5, it talks about... Uh, we're going to skip a bunch of it, but it's just... Uh, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame, but God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
and I, I think about this a lot actually, and it's okay, so my understanding of that is I need to rejoice in some of these sufferings. And I'm struggling with it because some of the stuff that I've gone through, it's no, fuck you. Yeah. I don't, I don't want yeah. to rejoice for this stuff. Yeah. You know, and I don't know your story, Arthur, and you don't know mine either yet. Um, but it's just it's bullshit. But how are we, so? How are we supposed to take this? I you know believe all of the Bible, and so I'm supposed to rejoice that I went through this. So why? So I can help somebody else through it. What or, if your response to it is supposed to be that's bullshit? Well, then I'm there. <laughs> I've won. You arrived. I, oh, I hit another mile marker in the race. One of the things that, and it's. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No. Go. Um, yeah, you and I want to kick you back to the starting line. <laughs> yeah. right, I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt if you're in the middle of the thought. I, I'm good at that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love you anyway. Thanks, <laughs> man. But you and I were talking about um, what happened to. Uh, so you and I share, and and I'll I'll just share this and. We'll cut it out later. And you, it's okay. I know. No, it's okay. I know. So, uh, Chuck and I would be adult survivors of uh, adult male survivors of childhood sexual assault, and that is a wound that is specific, and it, it comes with its own wounds and scars and and, and plethora of, of different things that that are birthed out of that. Um, and one of the things that you were you were sharing, I think something like this with me. I don't know if it was that scripture, but oh, I was also reading uh, Paul Young's book, the, the Lies We Believe About God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the lies he, he said that we believe about God is um, it's all part of God's plan. Yeah, you know yeah. that was all part of God's plan, Chuck. No, fuck or or Arthur. Nice. What happened with Arthur? <clears throat> like that's oh God did that because God wanted you to. Learn something or grow or no fuck that. That's bullshit. That's people fucked up people doing fucked up stuff because that that's the chain of humanity and, and how it works itself out. Yeah. So I, I would agree with him on that. That we chalk up some of this to God. Um, I'm not glad that you went through sexual abuse and I'm not glad that I did and, and something like that or what happened with Arthur. Um but the the point that I, I guess I was trying to make was is that we finally get to journey into it. We get to go down that path inside of it and see it heal. Not just be up here on the surface and going, well, God had a plan, and then and then it's sort of like praying for the cat or, right? Does that make sense? Well, I think that on oh, I think that on one side. It could be people sincerely trying to maybe make sense of it, you know. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know what God's doing, but I know He's got a plan. You yeah. know, it could be that. Well, it's too. that awkward. Yeah. Of they don't know what to say either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's well, I'll be praying for you. No, just say it fucking sucks and move on, or yeah. whatever it is. And you know, let me help you deal with some of your shit too, because the Bible can always be used. It can be like proof texted and used as platitudes, and and while. I, I mean, uh, I, I don't have the, I don't have that in my past. But but just for whatever issues I have, as you were reading it, I found myself like reacting to it, like yeah. oh fuck that. But it's like, but I I would you know, uh, as 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 a Christian, I would revere the words of Saint Paul. But I just don't know if they're supposed to be used for everything and every single purpose. No, all scriptures God breathed, but what does that really mean and what was he really talking about? Yeah. And is that verse really what you, what you need right now? And yeah. <laughs> maybe it's not, you know. Maybe. Well, and it, 
the the reason I bring it up though is just dealing with your shit. Yeah. Um, you you know you come to the acceptance, you have peace with it, and maybe that's where the rejoicing comes in. You know, it's because you've already, you're at peace with it, so it doesn't bother you anymore. You can help mm-hmm. other people, and you can rejoice. It's just right now I'm not at peace with some of my shit, so I give a big fuck you to it. That's where you go to David in the imprecatory songs. And I look at that as, especially for me, as in my anger, is that I have a greater empathy for dudes that struggle with anger. Because I have struggled with anger. Yeah. I think you have an empathy, and, and Russ, you have an empathy for dudes that I have no empathy for because I've never experienced that. And that's how I look at that verse as God using your shit to help someone else up out of the pit because they look at you and say well how'd you do that yeah. I didn't I'm still in it as I say me too I think there's a really good there's some healing energy that comes out of a me too mm. oh yeah sure yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know my wife was diagnosed uh, 10 years ago with breast cancer and I thought my life was crumbling around me oh man and I've realized since then, I've ran into so many guys that have, their stories were similar. Is that the, the, the husband or the, or the significant other of someone struggling with breast cancer, they're left on the outside looking in because they're not a part of it. And, and I remember reading an autobiography from Lance Armstrong, and he said the greatest support you get and the hardest struggle you get is the dudes that are, are your family members, your close friends. No. That aren't struggling with it, that don't have breast cancer, that don't have testicular cancer, they don't have cancer at all, or don't have a doubt, or don't have a fear. That's hard for them because they think they want to fix it. Yeah, you can. No, and that's the thing that for me, and, that, and I've had greater empathy for for guys. I've told guys I've had friends that his his wife says struggled with with breast cancer. I said, and I immediately go back to me. I didn't want someone in my face, but I wanted someone that I could go to. Yeah, and I had a buddy. Same thing. His wife had been diagnosed with breast cancer. <clears throat> so you guys, I, I look at that as a as an avenue. And even Arthur, your shit, you have a venue that no one else has to reach people that are struggling with that same shit. And you go, hey, I am not defective. I'm I'm wounded, but there's crawling out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. What were we gonna say? I think. One of the things I struggle most with in most religious paradigms and Christianity in particular is the insistence on logical absolutes yes. of who God is. Oh yes. yeah, and it just and, and and it's not even like a mystical statement; it's a logical statement. God is absolutely good, and God is absolutely all powerful. But God is absolutely also in a battle with Satan that he's already won but hasn't won so it's fucking <laughs> right. but, but he's got complete control but he's choosing not to he's, uh, he's making it look like he's losing but he's not actually like it just turns into a nightmare yeah. of it's trying to deal with that yes yeah. uh, logically and it and it and it's fun from a philosophical standpoint but it's not fun when it affects your shit and it no. affects people's shit constantly yes and it's a huge weakness in Christianity and the church uh, because it it leads people to make statements to hurting people that are awful yeah. and and really harmful and or you know just not true. Yeah. Uh, force people to hide. Mm-hmm. Uh, force people to um, pretend. Get out of community. Being, right. Get out. Of community. And some of those communities are toxic, and you maybe should get out of them. But hopefully, that's part of this 
the point of this podcast is that there's a lot of people that may have turned their back on on church, like or Arthur's well, story, it, my right, story. I was going to say in that in that I believe very accurate observation is you'll eventually probably come to a crossroads of either you can embrace it as a mystery, which isn't always intellectually satisfying. No, you can embrace it as a mystery, or you can abandon it. Right. Well, it's just with the direction that you went. With I embrace it as a mystery. As a very I embrace the mystery. mystery. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But there's. There's but sometimes I want to abandon <laughs> because I just have my days. But totally, you know, but totally right. I just have my days. But sometimes there, I do. Honestly. But that's not yeah, true because there is a third yeah. option. The third option is just to continue to muddle in it and ignore it constantly. <laughs> ignore it, yeah. Right. And that's most people's solution. But that's where I don't feel alone, though. I guess that's where in, in meditation, in meditation, I can get to a place where I don't feel alone in it mm. because I know what is true for me. Is that God is is love in relationship? And that's it, it. And, that's, and, and that's very. And you can empathize. You can empathize, yes. I can with, empathize. with a yes. fundamentalist who's white knuckling it, who needs to believe it line yeah. by line. Is that's what they need? And I don't, don't misunderstand me. There's I, I don't want to sound like I'm condescending, even though I do do that sometimes. But I'm not doing that here. It's just right. really like like just understanding you're a human being and you need peace and certitude and. That's just what you need, and that's why you're doing that, you know. Yeah. And just being able to empathize with that need. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, exactly. And get to the need, I think, because that's the scary part for a lot of people. That's the the walking through the desert, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's some issues that I've always had, too, with, with Christianity. I was reminded of it recently um, when I was watching uh, that Tony Robbins uh, Netflix documentary. Oh, that is such a good oh, yeah. documentary. I'm not your goo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and so I come from oh, a really conservative Christian background and a, a lot of it was very uh, had a lot of animosity with psychology and, and therapists because they believed that Jesus was the cure for everything and right. prayer and then that's how you they, you know it wasn't so far like we're not going to take you to the doctor kind of stuff. Um, but it very much was if you're if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with pain right. um, from trauma, emotional pain, that's the sin to be repented of. Then it's repair. Then it's nail it to the cross. And and the reason I was reminded of is because I was watching Tony Robbins deal with his girl who near the beginning of the of the documentary, and he really goes into her stuff. Uh-huh. And he really starts asking her questions about her relationship with her dad, and and, and, it, and it was really impactful to me, and I, and, I, and it really resonated with me. And I thought it was interesting, and but all I could help think is this whole experience and the Tony Robbins experience looks like some sort of evangelical revival thing, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ex- except that instead of going deeper and helping her really address the stuff, there would just be some exit ramp at any given point where someone leading that in the Christian construct would say, "Well, now let's pray to Jesus to heal that." Yeah, and they just wouldn't go any deeper. Exactly. Like, yeah, that's my criticism. That, that's just kind of the go-to. Like, here's our band-aid. Yeah, yeah. We believe absolutely in faith. I, I totally understand that. That that they believe that that's the case, but they devalue other ways of processing your shit in the hope that Jesus does that. And the reality is, I've just seen all too often guys get so far in their life where nothing's healed. Yeah. Jesus just didn't do it. Instead, it's baggage, and it's affecting their life. They yeah. closed the door. They prayed. They ignore it. Jesus healed that. 
and they don't even see no. the way it's still dragging them down. They're actually right. ignorant of its impact on their current life. Right. I would say they're using Jesus as a like a like a referee or something with a whistle and the zebra shirt. <laughs> Some kind of way to not. That was me for fifty years. Fifty years of my life. That was me. Yeah. Jesus had a whistle. Yeah. You throw a yeah. yellow flag at you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> disobedient. Wandering on the field. Wandering on the field. Yeah, I'm disobedient. I didn't fall. It was interesting because I was talking to my daughter about this. And she goes, Dad, I remember so many times that I would lie. <clears throat> and I would feel guilt. And I couldn't read my Bible. I couldn't pray. Because I felt so much guilt over my lie. And I go, honey, if I ever set that parameter up, I'm sorry. She goes, no, you didn't. It was, in, it was ingrained. And that, that, when she told me that, and she goes, but I'm not there now. And that, I, I like Russ said last week, he's an emotional dude. I'm an emotional dude. <laughs> I, weep, I weep for anything anymore. And that's that aspect yeah. of, of um, that feeling of, I don't measure up. Yeah. I remember years ago, hearing like a powerful extrapolation of Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.29 where it's you know deemed like a, a blessing box verse a platitude yes. all things work together for good for those who love God you know like something some tragedy befalls you all things work together for good it's like shut up yeah. well you need to take the subsequent verse into consideration for those he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to his image and likeness so the promise of God isn't that so much that uh, no tragedy will, will befall you or, or it's not mm-hmm. going to be hard. And it's, no, it will. It will. Yes. But the promise isn't that it'll be good or, or you can just go skipping through the daisies or it'll all work together for good necessarily, but more when it does go wrong, when, when the floor does fall out from under your feet, the promise is more you're going to be conformed into a Christ-like image and likeness. Mm-hmm. Now... We're all in process, and I don't know if we're there. I certainly know if no. I'm there. You know, no. it's to to be continued. But that's that. I think is the promise. And sometimes I don't know where we get the idea that it's going to be just healing and and restoration and peace. It's like no, it's more being conformed to that image of Christ yeah. and Christ crucified. Uh, but there can be cognitive dissonance even in that too for me sometimes. That's like the, the the shack had some great metaphors for that. And that speaking of literists, I think it's the literists that didn't like the shack. <laughs> People that was literal. It's that everything has to be literal. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Yeah, and it's a but it's a beautiful. But nothing in the Bible is a metaphor. Ex- no, yeah, ex- <laughs> no metaphors. I don't God's, understand metaphors. God's right. not a black woman, Russ. He has a dick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what Jesus spoke in. I like to remind Clearly people white. of that. Look at the pictures. Yeah. White. It's like white everybody, dick. Okay. Even uh, his beard is white. I, I imagine that like the disciples at some point had to get frustrated. Like, why don't you just answer a question with yes or no? It's always like Jesus. Well, there was a guy who had a donkey and a wine press, and there was always a you know some kind of metaphor that came out of that. But you think though that it's because he wanted us to think. He wanted the disciples to think. 
Yeah. I'm not going to spill and not, it. You would have the whole thing figured. Because they would ask him, too. Yes. It says that in the Bible. Like, they come back later and go, hey, <coughs> what the hell did you mean by that? <laughs> well, like yeah. they said, hell. Mostly that. I just picture them all sitting in a circle and everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's really deep. And everybody <laughs> laughs. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Because mine, they're just gibberish. <laughs> yeah, it's like Paulie Noah or, or Peter and Peter being the instigator saying, I had no idea what he just said. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Because I don't know what he just said. But we trust these guys yes. to go on and write about it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Even when, like, right up at the end, Peter's like, "I'm gonna cut some of the off." <laughs> He's just like, "No, that ain't the way it works." No, I'm putting that back on. Like, Peter, I'm, I give you an undo. Only person who's ever gotten an undo like this. <laughs> yeah. A little bit later, you're gonna write a book, and everybody's gonna think you know exactly what you're talking about. Even though today. You cut this dude's ear off and that's not what I wanted. That's what I love that that's in there, though. I yeah. love that the Bible includes that story. Because if you're going to make this shit up, don't you leave the part out where the guy who's supposed to be the, the father of the whole church, this whole thing, um, betrays him three times? Do you hear that joke? It's nice like, to know that even the first pope was a total fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Do you hear that joke where... started uh, on the first pope. Where the pope dies, goes to heaven, and St. Peter's there to meet him at the pearly gates, and, and Peter opens up, like, you know, uh, I, I don't know, some, like, the Bible, or it, its original intent, or, you know, without any human mar, marring of, uh, of the original words or whatever, and, and the pope goes, oh, no. The word is celebrate. It's not celebrate, it's celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a misspelling. <laughs> I, I probably butchered that one. That's, that's good. Are we there was Catholic a- jokes? <laughs> <laughs> Paul Young shared a, a joke in, in his book that lies we believe about God, and he said that there's, a, you know, St. Peter standing at the pearly gates, and this guy comes in, and he's an evangelical guy, and he says, and, and and he says, oh, well, I'm here. You know, what, what do I have to do? I have to say something or something? And he goes, he goes, yeah. You just name all the good stuff you did in your life. And so he starts thinking about it. And he goes, well, I, I was a pretty good dad, and I, I had a job. And how many more? And he looks and he goes, a uh, hundred to do a hundred. And he's thinking about. It. He says, well, I just got two. And he's trying to think of more. And then this other guy walks through. Um, let's say he's like Chuck and Chuck walks through and, and St. Peter goes oh hey Chuck and Chuck's like it's good to see you good, glad you're here and Chuck just walks through into the gate and the guy goes what, what's what's up with that <laughs> what's up with that guy why didn't he why isn't he here doing this and he goes well he doesn't play that game ah! <laughs> <laughs> you're the one that plays that game so we'll, we'll go ahead and play that game we'll all give an account though Russ <laughs> that's right <laughs> we will all give account for our um our how was that word put that was so triggery to me? I don't know why that was so triggering me. Our um Oh, I lost it. Or we won't give an account. Or we won't give yeah. an account. We're blameless. Stewarding our authority. Mm. Yeah. We're <laughs> stewarding our authority. No, why that is so triggering. That's a really good PC corporate speak way of telling you to fall in line. Toe the line. No. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like, like the United Airlines reaccommodated. It's along those same lines. So I wanted to. to, to I wrote something down about this when, when I read your, your deal and you didn't respond to it. So, what do you think? Um, <laughs> uh, Are you talking to? Derek, because <laughs> you, you wrote the thing. I, th- I thought it was, was cool. Uh, and I lost it. I thought I had it in here. 
Oh, here we go. Getting out of the cave of judgment and condemnation and letting the light of empathy and love shine down on our shit. Like sunlight. Um, because, hey, some really beautiful things grow out of shit. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think... I'm trying to remember who I was talking to about that. Like, shit can be really useful. Yeah. It's yeah. incredibly resource-rich. Um... I mean, great fertilizer. You can also blow shit stuff up with it really effectively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Batch it, right? Like, you could... That was the hot commodity in the 30s because you could make all kinds of explosives out of it. Um, so, yeah, shit was really useful. Yeah. And, uh, and if it wasn't for all the historical shit, none of the current shit would exist. Right. Because plants couldn't grow if everything, you know... If we're talking about literal feces shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're going into the engineer right. part. That's right. Well, that's kind of what I do for a living, <laughs> is dealing with shit. I, right. Like, I do lots of work on dairies and stuff, and it's just massive piles of shit that I deal with. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. So, yeah, I'm kind of a shit expert. Make good use of it. I'm, go. a, I'm yeah. a shit smith, actually. <laughs> shit smith. <laughs> Put that on your resume. Yes. I like it. funny. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's. I think we can close this one out. What do you guys think? Any any final words in, in dealing with your shit? I think we dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've solved the world's fucking problems right now. Yeah. Right. You can close us out in prayer again. You pull that string. <laughs> you pull that string. Uh, just shine down on our shit. How's that? Mm, amen. Make some beautiful stuff grow. <laughs> amen. We'll close it out with that. Amen. Till next time, next week. Remember, punktheology.com. Check out the patron account. Don't give us money. Don't do it. Don't give it. Not yet, anyway. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's reverse engineering. Oh, okay. Tell them not to do don't it. Don't do it. <laughs> I don't know. And don't, don't share this on social media either. Uh, thank you. Bye. Again, thanks to Jeff Becker, Tooth and Nail Records for that bumper from 90 Pound Wuss, Something Must Break. You heard this show all the way to the end. Congratulations. I knew you could do it. I'm proud of you. Uh, Punk Theology Podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to send us an email, punktheology.com.org.net. Dot info. Check us out. Okay, you can turn this off now. It's good. We're good. No, it's cool. Go ahead. All right. There you go. <laughs>